0: Eric's got both the muscles and the good looks so just stay stay right here yeah good good distraction for everyone uh good morning church it's good to see everybody Uh, I feel like I haven't seen some of you it's been like it feels like a month I was like you know but uh someone's like are you still faithful are you still alive uh yes and maybe is probably the answers uh in that order amen faithful maybe alive amen uh, well, if you're visiting with us this morning, we want to welcome you in. Uh, welcome to the Wichita Church of Christ. Um, I love this. Uh, it's just great to be here seeing faces I haven't seen for a few weeks. Um, just so that you guys know, not only did we survive snowpocalypse 2023, that was the first time my kids have ever seen snow. So you, you were like, why did we have to endure this with the Hendersons? It might be our fault. It might be uh and so i just i my kids the picture is my my son was just like just threw himself in the <laughs> snow and he's like so it was a blessing for us um so sorry about that if that bothered you uh but we were really excited about that and uh we were and then myself just me Amanda was here with the kiddos last weekend i got a chance to go down to denver or sorry dallas not denver goodness sakes um as you can see, we're still halfway done. The coffee is a necessary component this morning. Was that uh, in Dallas, to be with the Climb, it's a small church conference this last weekend, which was brilliant. There was a couple hundred of us, a lot of small churches um, and church leaders from all over. Um, in fact, actually, Sean Wooten, I'll be sharing a little bit about a story from him, actually. They came over and we were sharing what's going on in Revive in Eastern Europe, which is brilliant. Uh, super inspiring. And then a lot of the... Uh, very close friends of ours from South Pacific Australia group. uh, And they've got this unbelievably explosive group of young 20 and 30 something church leaders. They planted three churches in the last four years, I believe all with homegrown and trained young people in Australia. And they've got a lot more. They're targeting. They're like in the next two to three years, I think they're looking at another two or three places they're going to plant. It's just, it's inspiring. So when you sit around people like that, who are, who are going where you want to go, but maybe you're a couple steps ahead of you. Or maybe they just have more energy uh, that you thought you had. You know what I mean? You're like, man, three years ago or 12 or 20 years ago, I felt fired up. When you're around people like that, that it rubs off, doesn't it? Yeah. And inspiration, it's it's caught. It's not taught. It's relational. It's why I think communities, it's a team sport that we're doing here. It's a big deal. Uh, and it's so it's awesome. If you're visiting with us this morning, it's awesome. It's awesome to have you with us. Um, and it's a great thing. We're going to be talking. This is part one of four. Someone asked me if I'm preaching about Judas and Christmas. And I will, I'm impervious to the mockery. Uh, no, we're not. I love my Bible study about Judas, of all people. But no, we're going to Matthew chapter one. We're going to be talking about the Christmas story. So I, I love my Bible study this time of year. That's a little bit. That's what we're going to be talking about. Yeah, Mason. Trying to encourage me about Judas and Christmas. I can't believe it, uh, but it is awesome. And if and for those of us, if you're visiting or even watching us online, just so you guys kind of know, here at Wichita Church of Christ, we are a Bible believing group, and we are striving desperately together to be a Bible obeying group. That's not going to happen accidentally. That's incredibly intentional. And whether we've been in groups with churches of a thousand people or with less than a hundred, no matter what, you don't do this alone. No matter the language, no matter the culture, no matter the generation, that's why it's awesome to be together like this. And if, you're vi- and if you're visiting with us online, we want to encourage you, especially this month, come join us. Come sit. we got plenty of room. we got decorations. We have Christmas decorations that are inspiring, I think. Uh, but, we are, but So we are going to take the next several weeks and walk through kind of the extended Christmas story. And there's a lot more going on than you might think. And so what's happening, and if we're not careful, and we're going to be talking about this in different angles of this, in different characters, we're actually going to start this morning with a couple of characters that you might not have studied much about. We're going to be talking about Joseph and then the Magi. And those are kind of the two points this morning. We're going to look at that, but we're going to walk through several parts of the story over the next few weeks. And hopefully you'll not only be inspired, but maybe take your own Bible study deeper, but also be inspired to make decisions and move forward because it's an amazing thing and it isn't fiction. And and one of the lessons and the threads that we're going to find here is that if you're not careful, what will happen is that the culture around you will begin to write the story about God, about Jesus, about the purpose, about your life. I appreciate so much the communion and I I think the regrets and the what ifs and shoulds and shouldn'ts. and, And if you're not careful, what can happen is the pen to write your own life and to write truth. You can hand it to culture. You can hand it to the media. And we can take it out of the hands of God. But when we dig into the word of God, it is inspiring. And the truth is better than fiction. And that's why I think it's so powerful, important for us to dig in and study it and to know it, to share it, to talk about it, to meditate on it. But don't get me wrong. I, I love I love good Christmas movies. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life uh, was not a part of my childhood. That was slightly <laughs> earlier than me. Uh, but we had others like. uh you know, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Oh. Yeah, amen. And then not, not, and you're like, oh, I'm going to show my kids that movie. Don't. Don't. That is not a church-approved movie. Uh, but there are a lot of inspiring ones. But I want to encourage us in the midst of all of that and all of the food and all of the decorations to make sure that we pause and we also dig into the Bible we figure out what the, what's going on with the story so let's go in this together we're gonna we're gonna look can we do this we're gonna we're gonna focus in in the, in the book of matthew this morning chapter one and two and if you're there if you don't have a bible you can look at your friend if, you're, if your friend doesn't have a bible pray for them and then look to the other side and maybe they've got a bible we can all share and look but we're in matthew chapter one and we're going to talk this morning about joseph that's where we're going to start joseph and then magi let's pray together before we dig into the word of god together let's pray holy father thank you for bringing us together Thank you that we can meet like this and that we have the opportunity to, to preach your word, to, to actually to share our faith, to sing at the top of our lungs, even off key. Amen. But we can do that because of the freedom we have here that not everyone gets to share in this morning. And some are meeting in their homes, quietly singing hymns and, and, and opening up the Bible. Some are, are not even able to do that because of fear of their life. But I pray that as we do this morning, that we live unashamed. And that we have the wisdom to dig into your scriptures and understand them, but also the courage to apply them and to just live, not just agree, but to live by faith and be allegiant and to follow you, Father, in a great and inspiring way. We love you. We're so grateful. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter one. We're going to pick it up here in verse 18. And it says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, wink, wink, parents understand what that means. She was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. This virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel, told, angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she had, birth, she had gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. If you want to do a Bible study about Joseph, it's, it's going to be pretty fast. We get about a chapter and a half total. There's this and maybe in two other snapshot scenes. So it would make for a good like mini series. It'd be like a good 32 minute episode in like a long Christmas series or something. It- it's not a lot. It's not long. But in this moment, what we see is that Joseph becomes the earthly father. In fact, the stepdad or the adopted dad, maybe. Of the son of God. Like, have you ever felt insecure? Do <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm like, well, you know, I'm like. It's like, you're, you know, I, was, I can imagine if my like my wife's ex-boyfriend was like LeBron James or something, you know, you, you know, hey, how, how are you at basketball? Not not good. You know, how tall are you? Not tall. You know, you just you just feel the comparison. Has anybody ever wrestled with insecurity? I know I have. I remember when we did this. It's so funny. I remember we were, we were we had this small discussion group at a university and the opening question was like, what was the most memorable like denial when you asked somebody out on a date? Like, what's the, mo- and it's so funny because the girls are, oh, I've never been tonight. I'm like, oh, it must be nice. Right? The, one of my, one of the brothers said, hey, he asked this girl out on a date. And this is central Texas. And she told him, no, I've got to go home and wash my cow. my cow. Now, at some point, you go, just, just say no. Just say no. Thank you. Just be honest. Right? like, is that real? And no, she was, I think she ended up being like the four H president of like, or whatever. So it probably was legitimate. I mean, amen. But I remember being in grade school. That's like 30, you know, 35 years ago. And you know, you need write those notes. Hey, will you go out with me? Check. Yeah. Yes or no. And she circled or, and handed it back. (laughs) I'm like, come on, man. Just check. No, like just I don't know if you, I have felt insecure like every time going out to recess and it's kickball time. You know what I mean? I mean, you can feel this. And I just think of this moment. Could you imagine being Joseph? Could you imagine the emotion that you're, now, for those of us that don't understand, here culturally, there's actually kind of a three-step process. There's an extra step. In the middle of their marriage process. That we don't have here. So there would have been a betrothal. So they would not have been. They would have not uh, been together yet. Formally. But they were married. It was actually a proper marriage proposal. And it it would have been a divorce. To break that covenant. That's the step they're at. They hadn't been together yet. So they're essentially engaged. Formally. And his his fiancee. They are almost certainly teens. She comes back pregnant because of the Holy Spirit. Are you kidding me? like just tell me the truth, what are you circling? Or the Holy Spirit is your excuse. Could you imagine being Joseph? I'm not processing that as an act of God. I'm betrayed. Is this adultery? We haven't even gotten started. This is not how I pictured my life. He's wrestling with, man, I'm engaged to this woman. Maybe I even do believe. You live in small town Kansas, small town Texas. You think dad's going to believe it's the Holy Spirit? This this might have been the time when the first shotgun was ever made, right? <laughs> like, no father believes he, you, if you envision this and you can imagine the, the chatting, the gossip. What parents are saying, what the extended family is saying at every holiday. Could you imagine being Joseph? Even if we say it's all true, even if I believe it. And the thing we know about Joseph, he's actually an incredibly right. He's a good guy. He's a righteous man. What is the penalty for the adultery? It's death. He's like, I'm not, even if I'm hurt, even if I'm confused, I'm not trying to take this woman's life. Like, let's just let her go back to her family. Like, let, let's, I'm not trying to put a gun to her head. It's a good guy. But could you imagine what it would be like to be Joseph. The overwhelmed, overwhelming feelings. He's read the scriptures. About the Messiah coming. He's like, oh, yeah, the Messiah is going to be like your adopted son. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Good luck, you know. And what what's wild to me is that Joseph, with enormous considerable personal risk, a complete rewriting of any possible story he could have imagined as a young married man. One conversation. In fact, one verse from God's mouth and he changes his mind completely and follows him. One conversation, one verse, one, one dream. Man, you could write that off. Couldn't you? If I came to you and said, guys, I had a dream last night. God told me that I will be president, and some of you may go, "Well, Amen." Okay, sure, we'll vote for you. Most of you would go, "Jeff, have you seen a professional lately?" Right? We don't go, "Oh, spiritual vision." I'm sure that's true. That's a gr- that's easily explainable. That's not what Joseph does. There's no there's so many good reasons to blow this off, and with massive personal massive personal risk. His, in his reputation, the relationship with his family, what this will cost him economically. Not to mention the overwhelming amount of weight of doing the job. One verse changes his life. What does it take for you to change yours? How many verses... How many talks, how much prodding, what does it take for you to follow Jesus? What does it take for you to go, God, I hear you calling, it's clear, I get it, it's hard. I mean, what does it take for you? And this is the thing, guys, we're seeing this teenage boy, and he's acting like a man of faith before our very eyes. And we get about a chapter and a half to learn, at some level, Jesus thought that was enough for us in the Bible to figure out why God would pick him. That was all we needed. And this is maybe one of three snapshots that we get of him. We have scriptures, though, and this is what's incredible. We go man, one dream, one verse, one conversation to change his life. And to grab a hold of God's call with both hands and never look back. Not one complaint. Not one time do we see him going, man, I should have not done this. To me, that's incredibly inspiring to me. Not once do we see, man, well, you know, I just, I think if we, we've got step parents, we've got adopted parents in this room. And I think it's not just going above and beyond the call of duty by raising a child that you didn't necessarily sign up for at the beginning. But it's a different kind of devotion because it also comes with different kind of challenges and doubts and questions, different comments that can be made. You know what I mean? I just imagine what Jesus, you know, they're having like family devotional, dad loses his temper. Jesus is like, my father in heaven wouldn't have done that. Could you imagine? Like, and if it maybe if I was Joseph, I'd be waiting for that, you know? Go clean your room. Well, my father in heaven's preparing my place for me. You know what I mean? I just I you, could you imagine growing up in this environment? Taking the job, raising him up. But I look at this and I also think what's amazing to me is that Jesus wasn't sent to a perfect father he was sent to a young man of faith with had character and compassion but a deep love and a deep reverence for god and his word how about you this is what's also incredibly inspiring to me Is joseph tells us he shows us what it means to be a kind of man Or a woman who wins not just the attention. But the respect and the trust of God. And going this is my son. This is the kind of man. The kind of woman that I'm going to entrust All eternity's savior with. This is the kind of guy. It's not talent. It's not wealth. It's not. It's not even Abraham. It's not 80 years of life experience and all the wisdom you would want. No, no, no. That's not what he got. It's not stability economically. It was a young man of faith that went one conversation, one verse, one spoken word from God. That's enough for me. God, I trust you. Let's go. That's the kind of people we need to be. Because sometimes we go, Jeff, man, I need more experience. If I was older, if I would have just did something different. Then God could use me. Then God could trust me. Then God would give me something worthwhile. No, I don't think that's true. I think that's Satan. No matter your past, no matter what you've been, no matter what you lack, I think Joseph shows us you want to be someone that God will entrust the very salvation of the world to? It's our character and our faith. And we all can choose that. How is that for you right now? See, because it's impossible to be someone like Joseph if we actually won't even open the scriptures. Maybe you're waiting for an angel. I'm waiting for the text message from God. Repent! <laughs> Which I don't know about you. I got a message this morning that looked like an auto, like, you know, like a spam message that's worded really well so the spam filter doesn't catch it. And then you're supposed to text back STOP, right, in all caps. But it was an actual person. This morning, this happened to me. If I got a text from God, repent of your sins. I'm like, I'd probably blow it off. If I had a dream, I'd probably explain it away. If I had some guy come up to me looking like Jesus and going, Hi, I'm the son of God, you need to change your life. I would probably think he's a wacko. And this is the thing is that sometimes we think what we want is the supernatural intervention. And what we're holding is the words of God. Right? Matthew 13:17. many prophets and righteous people long to see and read. What you and I have right here. The prophets. First Peter 1 said actually the angels themselves longed to look into these things that for you and me. It's just a normal Tuesday morning quiet time. No wonder thousands of angels showed up when it was announcement time. Do you understand what you're holding? What you can buy at half price books for like three bucks. What what you can download on your phone for free. Guys, this is unbelievable what we have in our hands. But it isn't enough if it stays closed. Because it's about what you and me is. We've got to be like Joseph. And I think, what does it take for you to change your mind? What does it take for you to just do the next right thing? I think sometimes we don't think it's that powerful. I'm gonna go. It's not really worth it. It's not worth the reputation destruction. It's not worth the hard conversations with my family. It's just not worth it. Anybody else felt like that? I know I've I've done. I've been in those moments going. It's just not worth it. Staying faithful all the way. It's not like anybody's watching anyways, right? Does it really matter if like I'm I'm am a great like faithful dad at home? Are my, are, are my kids watching that much? Oh yeah, I found I've, I've tested that theory. Yes, they are. Dad, you said that the other day. I was like, oh you're. You're right. You're right. But I think about the power of this. One of the stories was actually from Sean Wooten. If you guys know Sean, Sean's actually, uh, he's a great guy. You know, it's incredible. He, him and his wife, Lena, they, they were over in, Lena, they were over in Kiev for many years in Ukraine and, and Eastern Bloc kind of countries. And then they've worked with Eastern Europe for the last, gosh, probably five years now. And they, they started a program called Revive E, Revive EE. Um, And so it's Eastern Europe. And so what they've done is they've kind of taken as they become empty nesters. They've they've asked people to come on in and come over with them for almost a year. So they take like 10 months and they'll take they'll descend on a little church of like 30 in uh, Moldova or something. And they've got like 20 young people and they drop in for 10 months. And they're showing up and it's worship and it's energy. And a lot of these churches are older because they were planted maybe two decades ago when Sean and Lenore first coming coming into the ministry and they planted Moscow, many of us have heard the stories. They had like 1,000 people baptized. It was ridiculous. Like literally, it was like ridiculous. In the middle of the, you know, kind of old Soviet Union, you've got an explosive opportunity for Christianity It takes off. And they planted all these churches. And then when our churches went into crisis, a lot of those leaders came out. So they've been kind of being faithful. And so as they're circling back around for their missionary journey, so to speak, they take like 20, 25 young, uh, you know, 20-somethings, and, and they descend on a church and they're sharing their faith and meeting neighbors and talking. And it's just incredible the way it's really revived these churches. It's incredible. You're like, and he's like, oh, yeah. It's, he shows him. He's got him and Atlanta. They're at the, the airport in the middle of COVID. They've got their, 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 their check bag and their carry-on. He goes, everything I own still fits in one and a half bags. And I go to a new place about every year. And I'm like, is it any surprise why both of his – The kids are Christians and faithful, doing ridiculous work and serving. They had a front-row seat to faithfulness. They were watching. But it's more than that. Because one of the cities that they've been helping out with, they were serving in Odessa. The two different years in a row, they were trying to land in a particular city, and God basically closed the door and put them in another. Two years ago, it was Odessa. So they try to go to another city. They get landed in Odessa. They're like, this is not where we meant to be. They serve the church. It was great. Larger church. It was fantastic. Super helpful. They come out. They try to land in another country and God diverted them again and landed them in Moldova. Why? What they didn't realize is that Russia would declare war on Ukraine and the entire Odessa church would have to flee the country and they would come across the border and land in Moldova. And not only did they get an enormous group of people, but they saw friendly and familiar faces. As they came in with refugees and people from their villages. But in one of these villages, not far from another city in Azerbaijan, can't make this stuff up, right? His name is Romeo. And his wife is? Of course it is. Yeah, exactly. And these guys are in a village that is out in in Azerbaijan. And they come into the big city, right? It's just like a slightly larger village. It's a mid-sized city, maybe a small city in Eastern Europe. And they have to come in because they're, it's, they're, they're, they're working their daily wage. So they're you know, working on Tuesday to make money to go home, get to the grocery store, buy, buy the food, and take it home for the night. And so Romeo, as he's traveling back and forth with one of the other guys from his village, gets reached out to by one of the members, one of the disciples. He studied the Bible. He becomes a Christian. His friend becomes a Christian. Comes back. Romeo's, you know, just being a great Christian dad and father at home, Juliet becomes a Christian. And then they're continuing to travel to earn money. And the two older daughters got three daughters, the two older daughters become disciples too. So one time Romeo's from back and forth. And there's this in the, in the, in the city, there's a gal who gets incredibly sick and doesn't have money for medicine. So he gives his daily wage to a sister in Christ and goes, she needs medicine and he goes home without, uh, without no bread money so he comes home hi honey and she asks so where are the groceries and he's like that's a great question and then begins to explain there's the sister over there and she needed medicine and she goes that you did the right thing absolutely that makes sense they go what are we gonna tell the kids (laughs) so they grab the two oldest daughters who are actually christians sit them down and go you know they become disciples and they explain it and they go no right this is great dad this is what you're supposed to do but the youngest daughter, Maka, she wasn't a disciple yet. I think she might be thirteen at the time, maybe fourteen. And she, <laughs> it comes in, and so they they kind of try to do the SWAT strategy. They got they got the whole group unified, and now they're talking with Maka. Maka goes, "Oh, that's great, Dad. I've been wanting to fast to become a you know a disciple of Jesus like you and Mom, and and I have never been able to do it because I come to the table and there's this great food on the table that you've made, and so I've chickened out. But now I don't have to chicken out tonight. I can I can fast tonight." She studies the Bible and ends up becoming a disciple. Well, one time Romeo's going back and forth and, and, and he's, he's serving, or uh, going to work. He up, ends up dying in a car crash. Well, and during this time in their village, they would really started, the, the village elders and others, there's a few hundred people probably in that village, started to really persecute and come down on them for being Christians and sharing their faith. So Romeo dies and they, have, they you know all the brothers and sisters, they, they want to bring his body back and bury him. So the... <laughs> So the brothers talk, and their strategy is what they're going to do is they're going to have different brothers in his life share about him, but kind of share and and focus on, like, one of the Bible studies, like one of the core principles, like about the Word of God. Like so, So one of the brothers is going to share about how Romeo really – Loved the word of God and made it the standard in his life. And it's from God and it's so trustworthy. And then the other brother is going to talk about how he made Jesus Lord. And he was a real disciple and what it meant for him to follow Jesus. And then the other guy talked about sin and how, man, it really destroyed his walk with God and how he repented. But then the cross of Jesus and man, he, this grace and he it just forgave him and he changed and transformed. And and how and he kind of went through and how he was baptized to Christ and repented of his sins. And, and he, they went through the Bible studies and it was a funeral. was like an hour and a half long. But all like three, four hundred people came from the village and the village elders. And at the end of it, they were just stunned about the life and the convictions and the impact. And they go, no, we we have no problems. Preach, operate freely. No problem. And not only has Maka become a Christian, she's actually serving this year in Revive EE 4.0 with Shauna Lynn Wooten. And where all this started was about 30 years ago at the University of Kansas when a very, very shy, maybe slightly awkward, (laughs) quirky, I was like, I I like those words for me, so I'll take that. Engineering student had a goal to just reach out to like three or five people that day. The last person walking in the quad. He chickened out and said and about went home and said, no, I I said I was going to do this. And the next person that came was Sean. You have no idea what basic faithfulness like this will do. I think we have to redefine what miraculous and extraordinary is spiritually. You have no idea what the next conversation with your neighbor will do. You have no idea the families, the villages, the countries, the churches, the generations of abuse and and chemical or physical or sexual abuse that you're breaking. You have no idea the hope you're offering. You go, Jeff, what could I possibly do? Do you know where I've been? Do you know what I've done? And I think God goes, look at Joseph. He can use any of us. Some teenager in the middle of a backwater Palestinian city. What what can you do with a guy like that? And I go, I think he can can be a parent that can change the world. I think so can you and so can me. I think that's so big for us to realize. What does it take for you to just do the next right thing? To just obey? One verse. How many does it take? For Joseph, it took one talk. Let's be people like that. One verse that can change our life, but it's more than our life and it's more than just our kids. That's how the world changes. That makes sense, family. Matthew chapter two, let's talk about the Magi for a minute. It's a cool point though about Joseph, huh? I don't know. We'll circle back to him in a few weeks. He'll come back up. They're like, second part he like shows he's like the extra like in the show you're like oh i think i've seen that guy before oh that's joseph oh that's Jesus' dad oh great well can we learn more about him no you don't hear much he doesn't say almost anything but man does his life scream volumes doesn't it matthew chapter 2 let's read together how many of us have ever heard of the magi yeah how many of us growing up also went what in the heck is going on with these guys There's a star, there's Frankenstein, there's what's going, like, what are they bringing? What's the thing, right? And it's like, I saw, I think it was a, uh, I think it was some, it was some cartoon. I don't know if it was a Far Side cartoon. And they had the three, like, three Magi show up. And there's three, like, two boxes and, like, Frankenstein sitting down. And I was like, man, I was like, I've read this so much as a kid. And I was like, what is the deal with the Magi? I'm like, is this Harry Potter? Is this, like, what are these guys? And the truth of it is. If you go out and you study history, you know already about as much as there is to know about them. We know almost nothing except this. Read with me in Matthew chapter 2. we We're going to pick it up in verse 1. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod. Now, this is Herod the Great, if you do your Bible study. This is the dad. He's an evil, evil dude. That, we'll probably do another study on him the other day. He's crazy wild. But in the time of King Herod, Magi, so funny, sometimes we call them wise men. We're not really sure why, how wise they were, but they were Magi. And they came from the east, and they came to Jerusalem, and they asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? If you think about this, they come from a far off land, way far east. There's no internet, there's no telephone. There is. We don't even know what city they're from, and at this point, modern day, what we would call Istanbul today, that ended up being Constantinople, that connected the east to the west. I, I mean, yeah, it was it was functioning, but it, it, there's no like modern information highway there. Jews? They, how do they speak the language? There's no like Rosetta Stone. They didn't like. You know what I'm saying? They're not like Duolingo on the way, and their six month trip. That's not how it went down. And these guys show up, and they're asking in probably Aramaic, maybe Hebrew. Where is the one that's born king of the Jews? There's so much here that we have no idea what's going on. We're going to come back to this point in a second. We have his star in the east, or we, excuse me, we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Yeah, no kidding. And all Jerusalem with him. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is such a fascinating part of the story. And so we're gonna, we'll, we'll kind of walk through the timeline in a few weeks. So you kind of understand the chronological timeline of what's happening. But if Jesus is born, and there's like this star that appears in the sky. These dudes that are so far east, apparently they didn't they didn't recognize the name of the country or whatever. Didn't land, didn't get written from the east, and they show up and they go, "The King of the Jews, the one kind of we've been waiting for. We've come to worship him." These guys are like, "What?" You could just imagine. Could you imagine being there? You're a Jew. You're like. Where are you from? What? What? And when, How do you speak my language? And how, What? Like, How do you know the prophecies? Why do you care? This is like amazing. And these guys just pop in on the scene. And like I said, if you do a historical study of them, you've pretty much studied about as much as we know. There's a lot of conjecture and guesses, but the truth of it is we don't have a lot of concrete answers. And I think the point here, among others is God is working in ways you cannot possibly understand. You can't get your head around all of the ways that God is moving. And have you ever read scriptures? Like as you're reading through the Bible and you find things of like, like, hold on, can we talk about that? Like you remember when Jesus, when they crucify him, he's, he dies. Finally, he gives up his last breath. There's an earthquake. It says the curtain's torn. Graves are like shaken. And then what happens? A bunch of dead people come around and start walking around. And then they just casually move to the next verse. Like, what can we pause and talk about? It's like, it's like the walking dead or something. Like, what is going on there? There's all these passages all over the scriptures that are going, God is working in ways you can't possibly comprehend. God is pulling strings. He is working things into being that is way beyond you, and I think sometimes what happens is when we go, if I can't understand it, I won't believe it, and I certainly won't trust it. Wow. Yeah. God, I need to know the story. I, I need to know the plan. What's going to happen? If you've ever read the book of Habakkuk, I love that one. In, Pro- in Portuguese, it's Habakkuki <laughs> Habakkuki yeah. Which is easy for us to understand. We always giggled, and the por- you know the, all the Brazilian guys are like, "What's the big deal? What's your problem?" I was like, it's Habakkuk. Have a, have a never mind. Yeah, they never get it. It's great. I love bilingual, bilingual jokes. And he tells Hab- Habakkuk, or Habakkuk in, in chapter one, he goes, I'm about to do things in your time that you wouldn't believe even if you were told. God's like, what I'm doing and the way I'm working this plan, and the way I'm going to get the job done, doesn't rely on your comprehension. His plans his ways his ideas we hear all over the new old testament is, are so much higher than ours we cannot get our head around the power and the complexity and the balls that god is juggling we get overwhelmed if we have to work too many hours or our kids get sick or at least i do yeah. and the things that overwhelm me god's like i got that in the palm of my hand dude there's no way i can comprehend the way god can handle his creation and that is actually good news for me and for you. God's calling people, gave them, I don't know, did he pop in to their country 100 years before this, months before this, and go, gather up, troop, we're going to talk about this. You're going to show up, I'm going to send you to my people. Like, How did God, did God show up like he did to Saul? We have no idea, and he doesn't tell us. And I think sometimes we go, God, no, 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 I deserve to know. Tell me why. We can do this with a lot of uncomfortable places. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of things in the scriptures that are very difficult for me. Mm-hmm. And there's, I, I wish there's some verses of like, treat all older women as mothers and younger women with sisters with absolute, what? Purity. purity. Man, my life would be easier if that verse didn't exist. Because that's a challenge to me that I have to take my purity. Purity. The way I look at women, the way I think about women, the respect for them and how I handle that. My life would be easier. And I want to explain that away, but it's not explainable. There are things like church discipline. Giving with our finances. And we go, there there are things that we want to be optional that are challenging. Challenging. Things like maybe it's even talking with our neighbors or sharing our faith or serving the poor. I don't know what it is for you. I know we all probably wrestle. Certain areas are harder than others. Some are easier. But I look at this and I go, God is not in the business of asking our advice. He doesn't need it. And I look at the magic and I go, God is so unbelievably capable of handling everything, including my doubts, My fears, my failures, my mistakes, my inabilities, my lack of understanding or my lack of strength to just think I can do more than just take the next step that he's calling me to take. Friends, that's a that's great news. And I love that these guys show up on the scene. Very little explanation. And I go, God is way bigger than I could possibly imagine. And so is his plan. That's not for the redemption of his people. That's just the birth of his son. That's one small slice of the pie. And it's almost like God peels back, like he kind of pulls back the the curtain a little bit and you see a glimpse of what he's doing in heaven and you're like, uh, I kind of, I'm glad I don't know. I'd probably be overwhelmed. Do you have to know everything in order to obey everything? Does your worship require your complete understanding? Because if it did, you probably wouldn't be worshiping God, huh? If you could get your head around him. And I think that's just so awesome. But you know what I love is that he does actually reveal an enormous amount. And he certainly reveals enough. By the time that we get here with the Magi, just in the book of Matthew, if we didn't have any of the other Gospels and we just read the last two chapters, by the time we get to this point, we have seen nine, at least nine major messianic prophecies fulfilled. Some of us are like, genealogies, what in the world is that about? Most of us don't care. You're like, you know, it's like like, Shane, son of Mark, son of, you know, and we don't, you're like, who cares? Like, we we don't think that way. We don't think about lineages. We don't think about that. But if you're in the Old Testament and you've seen the prophecies about the Messiah, we've seen that actually through King David's line is where the Messiah is going to come from. He said, oh, but also Jacob and all that. And they start identifying all of the lineage, the family line, major players in the family line. By the time we get here, we've already seen those. Where is he? One of the prophecies we just read that was quoted about where he will be born in Bethlehem, that he'll be to a virgin. And you go, oh, man, anybody could make up that story. Would you in first century Palestine? what's there to gain what's the monetary benefit what's the popularity the only thing you risk is death and obscurity nothing there's nothing to be gained by it especially when all of the major governmental powers are looking to kill people who uprise not 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 not, not worship jesus they try they killed him you guys follow that yeah. and so as we look at this we see that there's there's at least at least we would call 61 major messianic prophecies there's actually several hundred of them if you start If you study it like a Jewish scholar, but most of us in here are Gentiles. I think all of us are. If you're a Jew, forgive me. Most of us here are Gentiles and did not grow up with a lot of Jewish and especially revelation language. You can read the old Testament. You can read this prophecy about about Bethlehem and go, yeah, they're saying that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. That's easy. And if you look at the easy ones, we're talking about 61 of them. This guy named professor stoner wrote a book called science speaks. So analytical uh i believe he's a professor of math if i'm not mistaken he wrote it in late 70s and he wrote a book about the 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 prob like it was he was calculating the probability of the fulfillment of, of of prophecies of what it would be like if you had he said seven characteristics right if you're like okay they have to be a jew they have to be born in this place forget even things that we would call miraculous like being born of a virgin good luck proving that one right like he goes let's just pick a few of them we're talking about family lineages seven items What's the probability? Could anybody guess? If you know, don't say it. Don't, don't, don't spoil it. Don't be that kid in class, okay? <laughs> anybody know the prophecy, like, with the probability of just seven characteristics being fulfilled in one person? Like one in a billion, one in a trillion. No, it's one in 10 to the 17th power. And just to give you an idea, you're like, how many is that? A lot. <laughs> it's this. It's the odds of this. It's the odds if we took Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, and Arkansas. You took silver dollars and covered it two feet high. Covered it all. And we're like, Rob, great. We're going to give you a silver dollar, throw an X on there, fly a plane somewhere, don't tell anybody, and just chuck it off blindfolded, which seems to be bad practice as a pilot. Throw it off. And then what we're going to do is we're going to hate Hey, Tony, we're going to blindfold you, send you off walking for four or five days, and you're going to pick one silver dollar. You don't know what state you're in. You don't know if you cross the, you know, the, the, is it the Arkansas River? What, which river to be cross? See, I'm learning. I'm catching on. Which, And you picked one, two feet deep over those four states. The odds of you picking the exact marked silver dollar. Is the is the is just the probability of one person fulfilling seven seven prophecies, and we're already at nine, and we're not even two chapters into Matthew. Wow. What's the point if Jesus was not handpicked and prepared for the job, he couldn't have hit that lottery. It's mathematically impossible. When we get to seventy one or sixty one major prophecies. Sorry, 48 of the 61. We're at 1 times 10 to the 157th power. That's 157 zeros. We don't have that many electrons into the known universe. The kind of numbers, you, you, we, we can't comprehend those kind of numbers. And we're looking at the magi, and we're looking at the story, and we're looking at the, just the birth of Jesus. And we go, God is so Unbelievably capable. But don't did you love that he kind of at at times kind of a little bit kind of shows us what's going on behind the scenes? How unbelievably trustworthy this Bible that you're holding really is. That Jesus isn't some random teacher in the middle of first. He's not one of many teachers. No, no, no. He's the he's the very Son of God. And whether we're coming from the far east or it's in our own hometown worshiping him and being and just celebrating and bringing gifts is exactly the right response. And we look at just these two characters, I guess four characters technically, huh, that show up, and this is just the first part of the story of Christmas, and we are months before the actual birth. And over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of look at this picture from different angles. And my hope is that in places you find yourself in this story and people that inspire you and characters that are unbelievable. But we're not reading fiction. This isn't a great book. This isn't Lord of the Rings. But once in a few weeks, it's going to feel like it. Because it's murderous kings and dragons from the sky and fleeing the country. And you're going to go, oh, that's actually where Tolkien got inspiration to write Lord of the Rings, actually because he became a believer because C.S. Lewis reached out to him and their little small group of authors in that part of the UK. This story is a story that hasn't just inspired a few. This has inspired millions, billions of people throughout the centuries. And this, this, this month, as we think about Jesus, I want to encourage you to think and just take a moment and pause. And as you think about all of these characters that are around the Christmas story and that Joseph, Shows us that it doesn't matter. You can be a teenager. You're like, what can I do? I'm only 14. I'm some young girl or young boy in the middle of this small town in Kansas. What can I do? You can change the world. You can change the world. What can I do just being some dad? I'm just just a disciple. What can I do? You can transform villages. You can take hope to other countries. You can reach someone who will go to the far off lands and make an impact through your faith. Because we're all a part of the story still. But the Magi shows that God is way bigger than we can imagine. But we get to be a part of this story, too. I hope that this month, as we think about Christmas, these are two characters that will inspire us to not just be inspired by the story, but to continue to be a part of it as well. Let's pray. And I'm going to invite the singers to come on up for the last song after our prayer. Bow with me. Father, what an amazing story it is to look at Joseph and the Magi and the many others. And as we continue to look and we study, I pray that we're all inspired by what we read in the scriptures, Father that it's not fiction, that in fact, actually, the truth is better than fiction. And that, God, that we can all decide to be like Joseph and Mary. We can be faithful and do the next right thing and hear your word and just take the next step and trust you. That As we look at the Magi, Father, we know that there's this story, there are these prophecies, there are this plan in the way that you're working in ways that we can't see. And, Father, we don't have to know everything to know that you've got it all handled. And our job is to be like Joseph and to follow you. And I pray that we all step away today encouraged, inspired, that we see our brothers and sisters from thousands, you know, 2000 years ago. And we're inspired by their faith and we take the steps we need to take. Be with us today. Be with us during this Christmas season, Father, as we are inspired by the birth, but also the life, death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.